Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life. From the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober. An unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly, authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. We just want to say thank you to everybody for coming to this. This is lovely to have you all in my home. Well, I don't usually do it here, just in case there's any weirdos that phone me up afterwards and <laughs> abuse me. So don't do that. Are there any weirdos? Anyone <laughs> there's quite a few. Yeah. I'll, tell you okay. about them. I'll tell you about them later, Hamish. But yeah, thanks for all for coming. A few of you have flown in. For the listeners at home, we are in my 
lounge aren't we Hamish yeah. and there's lots of lovely people here who have joined us today to listen to this podcast so thank you all for coming do we need to turn off that oh we need to turn music? off there, there you go <laughs> <laughs> let's turn off the music oh it's gonna f everything up now is it Alexa turn off the music yay <laughs> something worked for once <laughs> usually she answers back Let's begin, Hamish. Yes, I should yes, do a little intro. Do it, do okay, it. so first of all, on behalf of everyone here, let me say an enormous welcome and thank you to Jean. Some of you may know her, some of you may not. That is Woo! her. <laughs> so Jean's here all the way from Canada. Uh, she's a bit of a legend in the sobriety world, so we're very excited to have her here with us. So for those of you that don't know Jean, Jean is a writer, a recovery advocate, and she's here from Alberta in Canada. Now, she's covered all of the bases in the sober world. There's only so many you can do. She's done the lot. <laughs> she has been sober since 2011. She's shared her story on our blog, Unpickled. She's listened to the sobriety stories of hundreds of others in her Bubble Hour podcast, which stretched over a fantastic 10 series, and even had our very own Vic was on yes, it. Yes, I was one of the last guests. I was going to say, Jean, actually, that should be my first question, but we'll wait. <laughs> Vic was one of the last ones to go on the podcast. Then the podcast closed forever. <laughs> uh, that's the sort what, of impression I have on people. What did you say? <laughs> what did you do? It was do? just so shocking, was my it? story, that the she had to close numbers. it down. <laughs> yeah, the numbers went down. That it was, was like, it. Like she's, she's spoken to like experts in sobriety and like fascinating people. And then you went on yeah. and just talked about what farts, balls, <laughs> yeah. all that sort Testicles, of stuff. yeah, usually, yeah. yeah. Sexual innuendo yeah. for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was one of the most nervous I've been in my whole life going onto that podcast because it was the first podcast I had ever listened to. In fact, Lorna, that is here today, said if you want a podcast to listen to the Bubble Hour, that was probably what three years ago, maybe four, maybe four. Maybe four. Yeah, and it was one of the first sobriety podcasts I listened to, and to go on it probably two years ago now, I think it was Jean, and. Jean's format is that you go, you go on, you'll have to listen to it if you haven't already, and she says, right, what's your story? And you have to talk for a, pretty much an hour without her interrupting you. So I had all... I was lying in bed, I remember, because it was like four o'clock in the morning. Is I'm always lying in bed. <laughs> it's a nice, comfortable place to do a podcast, Hamish. And I was so nervous, and I had all these pieces of paper. Obviously, I know my story, because I've told it a million times, and it is my life, so I don't know how you could forget it. But I was so nervous about going on and talking about it. That I had all these pieces of A4 with numbers all over it and actually in the end I didn't look at them I just took a deep breath and just went with it and Jean was so lovely and made me feel so calm it was one of the best podcasts I've ever done so I appreciate that Jean yeah so the, there's one thing we have in common were you going to share that Hamish now I feel like it's your story to tell actually yeah so as you all may know I blew my finger off with a firework on the millennium night there it is the, the, there's, there's an audience for the stunt. <laughs> 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 has a very shocked expression in the audience. It's not directed at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I am a stump person. I have a stump, basically, right? Which, you know, has its ups and its down, downs. It's not very good when you're playing the piano, but it's good when you have the bird. So there are some highlights and lowlights um, of having a stump. 10% off manicures. 10% off manicures as yep. well. Yeah, that's one of the good things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have a stump. And I've never really met that many people with stumps. <laughs> Jean revealed to me on that podcast, there it is. Stumpy. She has, she has the same finger missing as me. It is very odd. And we're very similar in many ways. We've got the same dog. 
What else? Many, we like designing things, all sorts of things we have in common. Well, Obviously, she's also... much prettier than me, though. <laughs> no, Damn it. <laughs> in the eye of the beholder, Vic. Eye of the beholder, but, yeah. yeah. You've both gone sober, successful blog, big podcast, and also you've now both written books. Well, you've written one coming out January. Get your books. Gene um, <laughs> has written plenty of books also, which will be selling at the back based on the conversations he's had on her podcast and in 12 years of sobriety. Yeah. Um, so that's basically all the things you can do in the sober world. Your blog, your podcast, you write a book, you become successful sober people. Like and then two. you're done. Yeah. <laughs> and you retire. My work here is done. <laughs> Carry on. So that's enough from us, isn't it? I think that's about Are enough, you, yeah. Do you want to try and scurry off and not I'm gonna, hit what, that not, with your bum? Not, I'm like Mr Blobby when I move around. Yeah. You're going to knock that over, you're going to knock that over, you're going to yeah. throw up on someone. <laughs> it's right, not the old days. Jean. Thank you, Hamish. Round of applause for Jean. <laughs> So, Jean, it's really a treat to have you here. Welcome to... The, is this your first time Sunshine Coast? It is. Mm-hmm. OK. So the reason Jean is here, not ju- she hasn't flown from Canada just, just to meet you guys. You know, we could say that she has. She does have a son in Perth. So she's, she's also just been in Perth. She met Sarah Rusbatch. If you listen to the podcast, Sarah Rusbatch has been a sponsor of ours. You're basically on a sobriety tour. Does, does, this, does today's <laughs> event make this trip tax-deductible? Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, good, good. There we go. Thank you. And that is the most important question that I've got of this whole thing. Okay, good. So this is a working trip. You're not here to see your son. I've been working very hard. Okay. Very hard. Well done. Thank you. So you obviously have a passion for and have worked in this space for over a decade. And you've spoken to industry experts. You've spoken to authors, advocates, pissed up ex-party girls like Vic. Um, Of all the people that you have connected with, if you could narrow it down to just one thing, what would you say is the root of why someone overdrinks. I know it's hard as a first question. Wow. But you've spoken to lots of people. You might have seen some similarities. I think there's always outliers, mm-hmm. but probably the broadest commonality we have is a deep discomfort with ourselves and a profound amount of energy going into feeling okay. Um, operating in this world in a way that feels like we're accepted and we fit in and I think what I'm trying to say is there is a disconnect of authenticity I think that a lot of women in particular resonate with Mm -hmm. I, I, I mostly speak to women it could be different for men but I think for women who develop dependence on alcohol or any other coping mechanism that is addictive in nature I would say underneath it all it's a disconnect from ourselves so a level of insecurity or not feeling part of a tribe is it something somewhere in between those that would be the outward expression of Mm -hmm. it for me it came down to I erased myself all day long I gave myself away I didn't care who I was I cared who you wanted me to be Mm-hmm. And then I could meet that demand. And I learned that as a child. I'm the youngest, so I watched my sisters, and I thought, that's how people act. I'm going to act like them. But I never even considered who am I and who do I want to be because that was in, inconsequential. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and the world loves that. The world loves people who can walk into the room and deliver what everybody wants. And so women get rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. And so we're taught that is a good way to be. 
And then over time, I thought I had discovered the formula and my ability to deliver that just hit its limits, I think, in my 30s. And I started drinking to cope with the discomfort of that disconnect of who I was all day for the world, which was highly regarded and rewarded. And I thought, that's who I'm supposed to be. I've built this perfect life. But it wasn't actually me. And at the end of the day, I had to go to bed and go to sleep. And I couldn't not be me for those few minutes. And that was the intolerable part. It was like laying in bed with nothing to do and just being alone with myself. And that's when I started to drink to a race. So a glass of wine at night helped me fall asleep quicker. And I wouldn't lay there and berate myself for not being who the world thought I was. And then over a decade, it, you know, one glass became mm -hmm. more and more and more. And the, the cycle continued and grew. And so it was partly about the drinking. But sobriety was about the drinking. Recovery has been about the authenticity. Oh, we need that on a sticker. That's, <laughs> that we, we've never come up with any wisdom like that. That's awesome. That's what made this trip tax deductible. There Just we go. That down. Okay, let's cut that audio up, send it to the tax man. So you gave up 2011. Mm -hmm. I imagine the sobriety world in 2011 was nowhere near what it's like today with groups of people like this and podcasts and books and support and, you know, outside of probably Alcoholics Anonymous. I know when you first started your podcast, you did it anonymously as a way of sort of holding yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Why, why did you decide, I want to go sober and blog about it and put the story out there? Um, I think it was just fear. Mm -hmm. And um, I, didn't, I didn't want anyone to know. So I was very ashamed. And I thought, I have this perfect life, and yet I'm drinking. And so I need to fix the drinking. And I thought I could fix the drinking without anyone knowing. And then I would be perfect. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that a great idea? And what I didn't know was that, um, I, so I just thought I could do it on my own. And you know, this is something that happens as we go further and further into, um, I want to say alcoholism, but dependence on anything, behaviors that are maladaptive is that we become more and more isolated and we really don't want people to know, you know? So we become overly independent. And so I was overly independently trying to get sober. And I had tried every day for probably 10 years to quit drinking. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to do something different. So I was blogging for accountability. I wanted accountability. I wanted somebody else, because I didn't value myself, I wanted somebody else to say, this is a good thing you're doing. But I didn't want anyone in my city to know because I was a successful businesswoman and I didn't want anyone to know that that was a big fake. Mm -hmm. I, I had so much shame that I assumed anyone who knew all the things I felt ashamed about, then it would destroy my life, which isn't true. And I also had this incorrect assumption that I wasn't that bad because I thought, well, alcoholics are, yeah. you know, not me, so I can't go to an AA meeting, I told myself, or my alcoholism told me, maybe, because those people are really bad, mm. and I'm not like them. So they are going to tell me, maybe they might say, I'm not that bad, and I don't need to quit. But I had this core knowing that this was getting worse and taking me down, and I got to the point where even though nothing really bad had happened, I was afraid for my life. And I thought, 
I'm going to harness this fear, and this is going to be the thing that gets me to actually do this this time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was very afraid of anybody telling me that I didn't need to be there. Now, now I know if you do walk into a 12-step meeting, no one is going to say, you're not bad enough. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be here. They're going to they're gonna welcome you, and you're probably going to hear some very um, interesting things that will tell you something about yourself, but I didn't know that. So, that- I, so I, was blogging, I was blogging for connection, but hoping not to actually let anyone know. <laughs> interesting. Interesting way of going about not wanting yeah. to know, isn't it? But the, the fear... Was that literally a fear of losing your life if your drinking carried on? Was it a fear of losing your career? Was it a fear of self-destroying? You know, what, what was the root of that fear? The, the fear that I was harnessing was this awareness that this could kill me. Yep. You know, there's a saying I've heard since that alcohol wants you dead, but it'll settle for ruining your life mm. or settle for making you miserable. And I just had a real gut sense of that. You know, there's there was one woman in my hometown um well there there were women i knew of who had died as a result of their drinking but they were accidents you know i'm using square cuts but everyone knew that there there was an alcohol component to that and it just made me realize you know people they fall they hit their head mm-hmm. they crash their car they hurt themselves they hurt other people and um i had three at the time my sons were um teenagers. I have three boys. They're adults now, but I kept thinking, you know, what, how's this going to impact them when I hit my bottom? What's my bottom going to be? What's it going to take for me to get sober? And I was so scared of that. And then I just thought, it's either going to be something terrible is going to happen that's going to make me bad enough to be sober, Mm. or this is going to make me sick and kill me. And then you guys, I just had this brilliant idea of like, well, what if I just quit and didn't get to that part? <laughs> what if I outsmarted all this by just quitting now? Um, and I realized that I had just been playing a little bit of a mind game with myself, that I had to reach some kind of marker in order to quit. The way that, you know, you don't wait until you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day to quit. It's just better to quit smoking. Mm -hmm. You don't say, I'm not going to lose weight until I've gained 200 pounds. You say, I'm going to be a healthy weight today. So it was just an epiphany to think, I I need to save my own life and I I don't have to ruin it first. So if you didn't use the tool of AA and there was less of all of this support around at the time, what helped? What tools did you use to help get sober? So um, the first thing you have to do to get sober, and this is a shocker, but it has to be said, you have to quit drinking. So I, I had, it never occurred to me that I was actually going to have to quit drinking. I thought there was some way I could do this without quitting alcohol. So that was the first thing I did, was I quit drinking. And every time I wanted a drink, I sucked on an orange, a slice of orange, or I ate a little bite of ice cream, and I just got through those first few days as if I was dealing with a demanding toddler who kept saying, I want wine, I want wine, I want wine. And I just kept stuffing things in my mouth, like a pacifier, to just calm me. And what I felt, what I learned was that I just needed comfort. So I, first I had to learn how to comfort myself. And then I had to learn what I liked, because I had forgotten all the things I enjoyed. I 
I, over the years, I learned to celebrate with alcohol. I learned to commiserate with alcohol. I socialized with alcohol. It was my one-size-fits-all one tool. And I had forgotten, you know, what, what do I like? So I found other ways to celebrate and other ways to comfort myself. And that was a project. And so you have to try a lot of new things. And, you know, if someone had tried to offer me a cup of herbal tea before bed, <laughs> I would have swatted it away. And I had to try that a few times and try a few different ones until I found something I actually liked and thought, oh my gosh, I actually want a cup of tea. Like, that was a shock the first time I found myself thinking, oh, a cup of tea would be nice, mm. because I hadn't felt anything, any longing for anything except alcohol for so, so long. How much orange did you eat in that first year? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, quite a few. Yeah, yeah. I was like a one a one woman soccer team just eating yeah. orange slices. <laughs> yeah, Vic went lint balls. That was her go-to. Yes. Oranges are better than lint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the blog then snowballed. We got to the stage where there was nine thousand readers of these posts. What what was it? Do you think about your blog or the way that you wrote or the way that you? described sobriety from your point of view that, that you think connected with that many people? I, I didn't do anything special. My story isn't all that different than anyone else's. But I think I'm quite good at telling it. And because I wrote anonymously at first, and I, ha I did have an interesting life, you know, so I think people were following because it was interesting. But I also accidentally happened to use excellent keywords <laughs> without knowing it. So the subtitle for my blog, and this is literally without having a clue what I was doing, my first day of sobriety, what do you want to call your blog? I don't know, Unpickled, which turned out to be a great name. Yeah. And then it said, what's your email address? I thought, oh my gosh, I can't attach my actual email address. I guess I need an email address, so I set up a Gmail. And then it wanted a tagline, and I thought, how I secretly quit my secret habit of secretly drinking, mm -hmm. which hit a whole bunch of SEO right there. <laughs> and then... Um, Somehow, it just built from there. I really wasn't trying. And I was anonymous for the first two years. And I was successfully sober as a result. And what really helped me, the, it was so moving. The, the first day, I think, I, I, I blogged on my first day. This is my first day sober. It's not my first attempt. But this is, you know, I'm going to get through this day. Stay tuned. See if I make it till tomorrow. I didn't think anyone would see it. But I didn't understand how blogs work, how it serves up to people. So the next morning I got up and I went to write, okay, I made it through day one. And here was all these comments that said, good job and keep going and it gets easier and it's simple. No, wait, it's simple but not easy. You know, those mm -hmm. great taglines that are in recovery. And I just cried because it was the first time somebody else knew the truth. My husband didn't know, my mm. kids didn't know, nobody knew. Nobody knew what I was going through. And that made me scared to tell people I was getting sober because if I did, they'd say, why are you sober? You're mm. fine, because I was drinking secretly. So um, to have those online comments were really helpful. Um, and I honestly, I don't know how it got so big so fast. I think it was just timing. <laughs> and then because it had grown, um, I ended up joining the cast of The Bubble Hour um, in year two because I was successfully sober for those first two years, but I was lonely. And I was realizing that other people, I think I accidentally met someone who was sober and it was really cool. And then I thought I need more of that in my life. Mm -hmm. And then I just said, okay, I'm gonna find sober friends 
but I still didn't want to go to an AA meeting because by this time I was two years sober without AA and I kind of thought, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. So yeah, I just joined the podcast and then I found all these online communities and connections and, and this has all exploded since then, you know? The, Vic was one of my last guests. Yes. And I think, um, she was delightful, by the way, and I think has the highest numbers of any guest ever. I think you shattered all the other records, by the way. Ego grows again. (laughs) (laughs) But I think one thing that allowed me to step back from doing the podcast, because it is a lot of work. If you're listening to recovery podcasts, I'm telling you, the people that do that for you, it's so much work, and it takes so much of your heart to continually deliver that. I felt like... I could. I realized there's other people doing this now, and I felt like I could kind of step back because there was a lot of really good work being done that mm-hmm. I could maybe just take a break. <laughs> Before we touch on the podcast, the idea of going sober and then not telling people comes up quite a lot. It seems hard to tell people that you know and easier to tell strangers like you did with the blog. Yeah. Did you have to have a sort of coming out conversation <laughs> to your husband and your kids when you were, you know, how, how far into your sobriety did you go, I'm ready to let my friends and family know. Yeah. Okay. So I was 10 days sober when I told my husband. Mm-hmm. And we had wine at home every night because I poured the wine every night. And so I took him out for lunch. It happened to be his birthday. And I said, I need to tell you something. I quit drinking 10 days ago. And, it, and here's, where I, here's why it took me 10 days to tell him this. This still makes me really emotional when I think about it. Because I knew I had to do it. And I thought, if he doesn't want to be married to a sober person, I still need to do this. Mm-hmm. So we're still married. Good news. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone checking yeah, the ring yeah. <laughs> And um, um, But I was very committed to saying, listen, I'm serious. I need to do this. This is not a joke. But I also, being a little people pleaser and still really entrenched in that way of life that I thought worked well for me I also said but no you don't have to change a thing Hmm. and no one even needs to know I'm just doing this it's my own thing no one else needs to know so he took the news quite well and he so he just sat with it he was very quiet but he took me seriously and I was grateful for that because I was I was afraid he was either going to say I'm out which I knew I I would still have to be sober Mm because I thought you can have a sober wife you can have a dead wife Yep. Or you can have a wife in jail because she crashed the, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is how this is going. So he took the news well, and he said, do I need to quit drinking too? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. No one needs to change anything. It's all me. I'm the problem. It's me. And I'm going to not disrupt your world at all. And then about three days later, we owned a business at the time. He, we had a meeting in his office, and he just sat down, and he said, okay, what do I need to do? Like, what does this mean? How does our household work? What do you need me to do? And I was so grateful for that because I couldn't have asked for that for myself. Now I could. You know, I'm, I'm a big grown-up now. At 56 years old, I can finally sometimes at least articulate what I need. But I couldn't because I still did not value myself as a human. I didn't, I didn't think about myself and dismiss myself. I just didn't exist. I was just an invisible entity to myself. So yeah, for him to ask that, I just, I had to think about that. And I was scared to say what I wanted. Mm. But I said, can we not have alcohol in the fridge? Can you put a, 
beer fridge in the garage. And he said, do I need to quit drinking? Oh, no, no, no. You don't need to quit drinking. Why could you not drink in the house? And I, So it, what we landed on is I don't ever want to buy alcohol for other people. Mm-hmm. I don't want it in my shopping cart. I don't want it in my hand. I don't want to be in that environment. And I don't want to pour alcohol for other people. And um, uh- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life, from the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. Uh, I just don't want to be around anyone who's drunk. So if we go to an event, I'm going to come home when I'm ready and you can take a cab when you're ready. <laughs> But I, the second I need to leave, I need to go. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, little by little, figured out our ground rules. And it's worked really well. And I think I'm grateful that he was um, accepting mm-hmm. of my decision and supportive of it. And I don't know if today, I, if I would have said, I-, I want you to quit drinking as well. Occasionally I hear of of partners who do that, and I think that's really lovely. And the funny thing is he can kind of take or leave alcohol, so probably if I'd asked for that, he could do it, no problem. But he was trying to follow my lead, and I mean, how good of a leader am I? (laughs) I don't even know myself. So these past 12 years have not only been about not drinking, they have been about getting to know me and getting myself back and getting my authenticity back and not being scared to be me. You sound like you have a beautiful partner. Offering to give up drinking and then saying, what can I do to help you, are two questions that anyone who gives up wants to hear from their partner. Usually, they don't get that. We get emails all the time saying, what do I do? I'm giving up, my partner's not, or my partner's got a drinking problem, how do I help? Mm -hmm. 
That is exactly the two sentences you want to hear out of their mouth. Yeah, I think I was really lucky. What I've learned since, you know, we talk about something called recovery capital. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, no. recovery capital. It's a phrase that a, a lot of um, uh, rehabs are using, at least in Canada and North America, to help people assess what are your strengths and weaknesses, basically. And they actually use a number score. And you, you assess, you know, do you have support at home? Do you have, uh, 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 do you live with people that are in active addiction? Or do, do the people that are in your life support your choices? And so that gives you points in that area. And, you know, do you have a safe place to live? Do you have health care? You know, so it's kind of covering all the bases mm -hmm. of what you need to build recovery. And it gives you an idea of where to put your energy. So I feel like, part of why I was able to be successful and tell my story and then help other people was because unknowingly I came into this with a lot of recovery capital and options. When you quit early, you have options. If you keep going, the, the, the farther into the addiction trajectory you get. Sorry, I have a, a dental appliance in my mouth <laughs> this moment and I can't say trajectory very well. <laughs> so I'm glad there's a spit guard on this mic. Um, but the farther you get into that addiction pathway, the more your options start to fall away until you get to the point where you are court ordered into rehab and you don't have a say in where you go or what your recovery looks like. And, and it, I think at that point, it's even harder to have a really like slow and enlightened and enjoyable recovery because you're so busy cleaning up all the messes that recovery or addiction has taken you to. Mm -hmm. So Anyone who's doing that, I mean, huge regard for them because that's very hard. But the beauty of quitting a little bit earlier is that you do still have a lot of options and, and you, can, you can build the recovery that you want. You can build the life you want. Let's talk about the podcast. Okay. So, Bubble Hour podcast, you began co-hosting it 2013 and then you became the solo host of it. 2016 yep. until Vex episode ended <laughs> and did the whole show. She um, broke the show. <laughs> you, you mentioned that you owned businesses before and things were going well. So what was it about this subject that made you want to make sobriety your career in terms of podcasting, books, the blog? You know, what, what was it about this that was special to you? It fed my soul, I think, for one thing. And I think I had done it for so long it came easily to me to do it. I understood the technology, I understood the format, and the guests just kept coming. And I kept checking in with myself, is it time to be done this? Nope, and I would do another year. But the, the community around it, and then the resonance that it had, just, it has blown my mind. It, I think we're at f almost five million downloads with that show now, Wow. globally. So it's in the top like half a percent of podcasts worldwide in English-speaking countries. So that is just, I mean, how can you walk away from that? Not that I, I don't make money on the podcast. Yeah. I don't have any advertising tied to it. It was just a heart project for me. But to know that it was having that big of an impact, just, it, it was mind blowing because I was just having conversations like this in my office at home. So I thought, I mean, the, the return on, I could just put so little effort into it and it went into the world and did so much. I, I, I felt like this might be one of the reasons I'm on this earth, I don't know, mm -hmm. to do this thing at this time. But also, I also felt, we, we sometimes hear people in recovery talk a lot about ego. People that are in the 12-step program, they'll talk a lot about ego and that it can be a dangerous thing. 
And so I knew that I couldn't be doing it in a way that was feeding my ego. I couldn't be the star of the show. I couldn't be doing it because I wanted to be popular or liked or any, any of those external validation things because I knew that got me in trouble before. That was part of the problem. So I really had to come at it from an, an attitude of service. And this, I just saw it as its own entity and I'm playing a part in it and I'm helping to facilitate it happening. But I also need to listen when I see the signs that it's time to be done mm -hmm. and it's run its course. And so that was why I ended it afterwards was I just felt like, I think this is complete now. I think I wanted to end it while it was good. And I, obviously I did. I ended it with one of the best guests ever. And then... Just stay on this topic. Then I went through and I listened to all 330 hours of audio, transcribed them all, not manually, but used a program. And that takes a long time to run transcription on all that many things. And then I went through and I picked out the best bits and built this beautiful 10-part retrospective about the decade of the bubble hour. And I don't know if you've heard any of it, but it was a lot of work. You can tell that when you hear all the things that have been pieced together in it. Um, but I took some of the best bits from the decade and also told the story of the show. And it has a really beautiful story because the woman who founded it is really the reason that podcast became so big. Her name's Ellie, and she's just an amazing woman. And the reason I was brought onto the show was because she had relapsed and was in, was in rehab, and nobody knew that yet. So the night she went into rehab, one of the other hosts called me and asked me to come in and take over the show. And then after uh, six months or so, Ellie came back on the show. And just listening through all of that, you know, after a decade, knowing when you're in it, you're just sort of going through and seeing what happens. But looking back on it, the power of it, of this woman who started this enormous thing and then had a really tragic relapse, which you should listen to that episode because it's stunning what happened and then to come back and to really humbly come back and and to show the comeback was just so powerful and moving and so I was able to tell her story through that and um, and then ultimately what she realized was that being a public figure in recovery wasn't serving her well and so then she went dark after that and just left the show and left everything for the sake of her own recovery and has been doing really well ever since. But the lesson that she lived for us all in that was just so beautiful. So I was able to tell her story and then share some of the funniest moments and the best bits and actually Vic's clip, some of the clips from Vic's episode actually made the final season, <laughs> so gold star. And <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be unbearable after this. <laughs> and then, um, so two things happened after that. I produced that last season, and then there was still a lot of really great material. So I made a book. It's called Take Good Care. I do have some copies of it here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, reflections based on conversations from the bubble hour. But what I did with that book was I set it up so that each little reading has three boxes. So the idea is you read each reading three times. You open the book to any page and put a tick in one of those boxes. And at the end of the reading, I ask you a question, and there's a little space to put a date and write your answer to that question. So the idea of it is that these conversations that I had with other people in recovery, as a book, become a conversation between the reader and myself. But over time, they become a conversation with the reader and themselves. 
And so it becomes this sort of way to measure your own change over time mm -hmm. uh, as you respond differently to these ideas that are presented there. So that was really special to be able to do that. And then finally, I, what was the other thing I did? Oh, tiny bubbles. Okay, so then <laughs> I wasn't quite ready to be done podcasting. I just was really, really exhausted by interviews mm -hmm. every week because that's a lot of work. So I now do something called tiny bubbles where I just take some of that old material and every week-ish, except not this month because I'm away. But anyway, I do these short versions because we don't always have time to listen to a long-form podcast. Mm -hmm. So I just do these, um, it's a new, it's a whole new stream. It's called Tiny Bubbles and it's the best bits of the bubble hour. Awesome. So that's, that's what's happening. I get to speak to Vic all the time. So I know what years one to five of sobriety look like. <laughs> You're 12 years in. What I want to know is, is it like a graph that gets easier with every year? Or do you have to fall back in love with it and find new motivations every few years and it's more like a, a windy road? road or a long marriage maybe <laughs> is sobriety basically a marriage? Yeah, that's the question it's not a grind it gets mm -hmm. really easy i'm just a non-drinker that's you know that's how it goes i'm not interested in going back um there was this really interesting point i got to a few years ago where i stopped holding on to my sobriety so tight and i thought i can tell myself look you can have a drink if you want to but you don't want to. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> like I really like my life. I used to be a smoker. I don't want to have a cigarette anymore. You know, it's kind of like that. I just don't want to go back. And I also have learned so much about myself that I think I am very drawn to things that change how I feel. And I am very drawn to um, uh, getting some relief from my brain, from my own thoughts. And, um, so I think alcohol, the lure of, of being numb to myself, is, would still be a, a crutch that would not be a good thing for me. <laughs> I have yet to hear anybody tell me, and I'm open to it, if someone can say, oh yeah, I was sober for 10 years and then I moderated and it was great. I haven't heard anyone <laughs> yeah. say that. Yeah. What I do hear, and I heard it 330 times on the podcast, was that People that do go back out, it's okay at first, but very quickly goes right back to where they left off. And it doesn't seem to matter how much sober time they had. Mm. So I don't want to go back to that place. I really like where I'm at. I'm really happy with me. Like I really mm. am happy to know myself and to be this authentic version of me. And every once in a while, I, I think about when I was little and it was the 70s, you know, and I would see these, like, women on TV. We lived in the, on a farm in the country. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of humans, but, <laughs> like, I'd see Gloria Steinem on the news or, um, you know, I, I don't know, Sally Field or whatever. Just these women who were a little older than me that were cool. And then I'd see older women who I'd think, like, oh, I want to be like them. Mm. And now I think, oh, my God. I'm this cool older woman, you know? Like, I've got three grandkids, and I don't ever want them to see me as that diminished version of myself that I was when I quit drinking. I was so far removed from me. You know, they know me as this full, wholehearted person that they can count on any time. I don't want to give that up. I stay sober for me, 
I live in recovery for me. It's me who I don't want to abandon. Mm -hmm. But when I think about all the people in my life who I am close to and who I feel really good about my role in our relationship, because being alcohol-free gives me that ability to be myself and be with myself, that's what I don't want to give up. Mm. And I, I like where it's taking me. And I think the recovery part of it, like, I don't ever want to stop that. Like, when I stopped drinking, I thought, three months and I'll be done and everything Sorry, will be fixed. I didn't find a group or device named Lamb. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> three of us in this interview now. <laughs> Sorry, ignore. I can't say her name because then she'll pipe up. Ignore her. I'm trying to think of what I said that approximated that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the dental appliance. <laughs> Where was I? I just want to, I want to stay here. And I think um, recovery is for life, right? So sobriety, here's the thing. Here's the other soundbite for mm -hmm. today. Sobriety clears the way for my recovery. And I don't want to give up my recovery. So my, the recovery piece to me is the healing, the getting to know myself better, the being that person that I really want to be and always growing. And I feel like I can't do that if I'm numbed out, if I'm... And also if I'm opening the door to that slippery slope of losing control over that. So yeah, I, I, I love the life that I'm building and I think when I'm 90, I hope I'm still learning things about myself and trying new things and, and just feeling really good and proud in who I am, mm. you know? And, and I, I like the idea that, you know, like look at us, like we're a room full of women that little girls would look up to and think like, I want to be cool like them. I want to do interesting things like them. And sorry, you're the man in the room. I'm ignoring no, you in that. I, you're I, cool I, I, too. I'm very comfortable with being included as a group of women. That's fine. <laughs> um, but I, I'm really proud of that. And I feel really good about that. Gosh, you speak beautifully about this subject. Well, just the amount of mmms I'm hearing <laughs> and the head noddings that I'm seeing. Well, thank you so much for coming and speaking about this. I've got one more question, okay. which I feel like I'm certainly not the only person in this room that's been thinking about this since the earlier <laughs> conversation. Stumpy, are you comfortable sharing the story of how you got Stumpy? I am. Or is okay. Okay. Relief. Let me tell you, I have no good drinking stories. None. Like Vic has the best drinking stories, right? Like blew off a finger. Come on. So before I tell you how I lost my finger, let me tell you how I came to have a dog that is the exact same dog <laughs> okay. that Vic has. I bought my dog drunk. It's the only interesting thing I ever did drunk. I bought her online when I was drunk one night. She's what did you Google? <laughs> what was it? Sweet dogs. Sweet dogs. Cute okay. dogs. Feel better. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And my husband came out of the bathroom, and I was in bed like on my phone, and I was like, oh, shit, better not tell him that. And so the next morning, I had to tell him, I bought a dog online last night when you were in the bathroom. So... She's still around. She's my little sobriety puppy. Yeah. Okay, the finger. The finger was a farm accident when I was a kid. So I was five. Um, and I, I have hidden my hand all my life. It was something I was ashamed of because I was goofing around and doing something I shouldn't have. And I, was really, I really was ashamed that I disfigured myself permanently by being silly. So it taught me to never be silly and never have fun. <laughs> and, and you can imagine that um, my therapist has has had a really great time pulling me out of that these yes. last few years. So, but I'm so grateful to Vic who holds her hand up and tells the story and yes. flips the bird with yes. that finger because you've taught me to stop hiding my hand and to, to stop being ashamed of it. And, and it really made me realize how 
Um, these things are so deep within us. It does take time to excavate them and release them, and even just to know they're there. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just an example for me of, of the way that shame was attached to my childhood in a way that nobody, nobody gave me that message. Nobody said shame on you. No one said your fingers ruined forever because you were goofy. I thought that myself. Mm. There was no one else to tell me otherwise. Yeah. So, you know, this is, these are the things we heal. You've got a few books that we had a quick <laughs> chat about. Tell us. A few books. So I've written five books. I have a, a series called Unpickled, and there's currently two books in that series. One is The Holiday Survival Guide. So we're just about to head into the holiday season. So especially for people that are in their first year of sobriety, it is a way to avoid a bunch of speed bumps in that transition. There's also a book uh, in the Unpickled series called Prepare to be Alcohol-Free. And it's all the things that I heard people say they didn't know could trip them up in early sobriety. So it's things you can do before you quit drinking or in early recovery to help remove some of the stumbling blocks that people have in early recovery that'll help set you up for success. Because usually when people relapse, it's because they're caught off guard. There was something they didn't expect, mm -hmm. and then they just like reflexively drank because they didn't know what else to do. So there's that. Uh, I wrote a book of poetry about recovery called The Ember Ever There, all about finding that little part of my heart. And the Bubble Hour book we talked about, Take Good Care. And then I just released a book I wrote and illustrated called Roberta the Tree. And I wrote this book for little me. I just, I, I wanted to write something that I wished I could give to myself. You know, all this inner child stuff that we work mm -hmm. on, right? So it's just, it's about using nature to regulate emotions and it's just a sweet little book and I've been learning to draw and paint and so I did all the illustrations in it as well. So, oh. Roberta the Tree. The whole line is available on Amazon and yeah, they're, I'm really proud of them and it's just a way to continue the conversation and, and actually give people, you know, little resources they can use and take with them. Well, let me just say on behalf of everyone, so grateful that your son moved to Perth, so you <laughs> came to Australia. So grateful for you for coming from WA to here and joining us for this intimate little event. Your story is an amazing story. You speak gorgeously about this, like I've just said. The way that you describe it is very easy to connect to. Your story of not reaching rock bottom and making that move is one that we are always trying to promote, that idea. You don't have to... It's harder if you leave it too late, you know? Everyone here is incredibly polite. No one has touched a cupcake. I reckon everyone probably <laughs> wants to eat a cupcake. So we will now eat cupcakes. Um, but just one last time, can we all give Jean a huge round of applause? Thank you so much. Yeah, there's no rowdy people here today yeah. heckling from the back. Although I did do a bit of heckling. You just opened a can incredibly loudly. Wasn't it loud? And it was really glugging out, wasn't it? Did you shake it before? I don't know, but it was really loud, wasn't it? Glug, glug, glug. It wasn't vodka, I promise. It, it was, was just like, a fizzy drink. It was like someone eating crisps in a cinema. I know. Like, it's not and I was thinking thing. I might go to the toilet. And I was like, that's going to be like a bang and a crash. And then I was like, oh, I'm just going to stand here and look awkward. That's, so that's exactly what my, I did. Now my feet are hurting. That was lovely. Thank you, Hamish. That was a brilliant interview with the lovely Jean. I just wanted to say the bit that I really resonated with was 
Jean talking about the secrecy that surrounds this very social issue and, and where the line is drawn, because we're never taught that, are we, that we're all just taught, well, drinking's okay, everybody does it, but nobody shows us when we've crossed the line. We don't know when we've gone from being a happy social drinker that just has one or two drinks to being someone that's crossed this line, and now we're like, oh, look, there's a person who has a drink problem, and they're the enemy and they're bad. And I think what I learned from you saying about that secret drinking is that if you're questioning at all, and if you're waking up, whether it's one glass or two or a whole bottle of, of whiskey, if you're questioning, it doesn't matter where you sit on this spectrum. It's something we talk about on the podcast all the time. There is a line and it doesn't matter where you sit either side of it. If the line is there, then you should reach out for professional support or talk to someone or listen to a podcast or read a book or meet people like we are here today because you've got to walk the walk and talk the talk in sobriety which is why Jean, Jean has shared her story it's because you've got to put 100% effort into your sobriety otherwise you're going to get tempted and that preoccupation with alcohol will come back and I just thought it was brilliant that Jean talked about keeping it a secret because I think that's what a lot of people do even if it's just that one glass of wine or just that one beer at a weekend we just keep it a secret and pretend to be okay all the time whereas in fact we're struggling mentally with it we're saying shall I have another one what what, what will happen if I have two and what if I have three and that whole preoccupation comes from that one glass and I just think I know that I didn't tell anyone either. I didn't tell anyone for 18 months that I'd given up alcohol because it felt so private. It felt like something I had to do for me. It's not about anyone else. And I felt that because I didn't know anyone that had ever given up and I felt shame that I had got to a point where I felt like I had a problem with it. And I think that's why we do the podcast and I think why you did the bubble hour is because you need to have these conversations because that is the only thing that's going to draw the shame out of over drinking sorry I'm getting a bit emotional but I just think people talking about it is the key to moving forward from any sort of issue so don't be shy any people that are in here I know it's awkward and I know we're all here and we're all here for the same reason but talk about it talk to your friends and family you'll be surprised at how accepting everybody is of this very socially common problem I feel like I want to clap <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we've spent about 70 hours of podcast talking to each other but I learnt more from her in one hour <laughs> but then you started crying and I thought that's an immediately cruel thing to say <laughs> to a crying I'm lady crying. I'm not crying okay, am I? okay good um, it's passion it's passion <laughs> there was so much wisdom in that conversation it's difficult to sort of pick one bit to take away from it and she's standing in front of me us now but I feel like I loved the way you described your partner I loved how supportive he was in that key key moment of telling someone you love the decision you've made um, and I'd never heard that idea of having capital going into surprise is sobriety capital is that the phrase yeah recovery capital I never heard of that phrase and yeah I think I didn't realize how rich I was in that when I entered this space and how lucky I was to have that because a lot of people don't and it can be a hell of a lot harder than it was than it was for me um, yeah I, I just I was blown away by that conversation to be honest I, and I loved the environment in here it felt like a very intimate supportive group of people that turned up yeah um so i'm very grateful for for that whole conversation me too thanks Jean, for coming all the way from canada to be on the sober awkward podcast we appreciate you hugely should we go and eat some cake then let's fuck the sugar let's <laughs> yeah. go and stuff our faces <laughs>
If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know, just write it on Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? probably ones with moody, moody what? sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yes. Good, yes. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. <laughs> You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audio book will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry, and cringe, and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny-weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. <laughs> my teeny little wooden heart. Well, his, teeny little, his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. 
Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> 